you have called us by our names. Everyone that is here this morning on live stream and in person, Lord, you have called us and we are together and you call us and you want to redeem us and you want us to be part of your family. And Lord, there are times in our lives when we do experience your goodness. In small ways, in big ways, the goodness that is in our lives and we acknowledge that all good and perfect gifts come from you. You are a God of goodness and we thank you for those occasions. And Lord Jesus, we also acknowledge there are times when there is suffering. When we experience it personally or in our family, with friends at work or at school. And Lord, when we're completely honest with you, we don't experience those times of goodness. And it's at that time, Lord, when we say we remember and we will declare and we will proclaim that even when there is difficulty or suffering, we still know that you are good. That you are good. That God, you are good. That you are a God of love and of mercy and grace. Help us to recall that to mind. That your loving faithfulness never ceases. Your compassion never fails. It is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So we proclaim that and we call that and we say, come Holy Spirit, even now in this place and online for those that are joining us, come Holy Spirit. As you have ascended, Jesus, and are sitting on the right hand of the throne of our God and Savior, Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit is here with us now. Illuminate the truth that you have for us. Comfort those who need to be comforted and challenge those that need to be challenged. Glorify yourself in our midst. We pray all of this in your matchless name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you again, uh, Tyler and the music team, uh, for tuning our hearts. We have a, a course that we are starting in the fall. Cadre is our school of, of uh, ministry here at Westview. The school is called Cadre. We have a course that is starting in the fall. Information is in your bulletin. The course is called Sexuality and Identity, The Way, the Truth, and the Life. And uh, that is starting in the fall. We have an orientation and introduction uh, class for that. There are two of those, and they will be in June. And you can see more information in the bulletin. And we want as many of you of every uh, age and background to attend the, these classes. But that starts with this orientation uh, module in June. You can register by uh, going to our website. And on there, you just click on Ministries and Cadre, and you'll get the information. Or contact our office, telephone, email, whatever the case may be. This is a really vital, important course that we are going through. When you register, you will receive a syllabus uh, of the course. It'll outline the modules, it'll outline the, the books and so on um, that are part of this uh, very important uh, course. So there you have it. So this morning, we are investigating this question that begins with this word, religion. And when I say the word religion, uh, maybe shout out, what, what comes to mind 
when I say the word religion? Anybody? Anything? Culture, rules, organization. Yeah. If you're on live stream, you can type it in the comment section. I, I wonder sometimes um, if uh, we, we hear things like, or we think things like, yeah, rules, um, maybe rituals or demands, you know, these things that are like obstacles. I, I wonder, it can, it can carry some pretty negative baggage. There have even been battles fought in history that have been called religious wars. I mean, imagine that. that that's tragic. What is God's view of religion? And what does it reveal about who he is? And what does it reveal about us? What is God's view of religion and what does that reveal about him and about us? In a little while, I'll speak for a short time and then we're going to pause. I will pause for what we call Q&R, question and response. It's where you have an opportunity to ask questions based on what you've been hearing me say. Because this is important, I want this to be a, a dialogue of sorts. So you can email or text to ask at westviewchurch.ca or you're here in the uh, sanctuary, you can stand and we'll bring a microphone to you and you can ask your questions. Last week, for example, we had um, a question come in. We were talking about desire and temptation and one of the questions that came to us after the service asked this question. How can we tell when temptation is coming from us or when it's coming from Satan or the devil? It's a good question. We were talking about last week in first part of James about the biology of desire and the genealogy of temptation. And this question, how can we tell? Well, a couple of things. First of all, we have to acknowledge that Satan or the devil is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. But there are many fallen angels that make up what Scripture calls the spiritual forces of wickedness. And we are in a world that we can see where there is a lot of wickedness and violence that is roiled up by these spiritual forces of wickedness. And in honesty, it can be pretty difficult to tell the difference between when it is a temptation that is from my own character or when it's coming externally. But I will say, Scripture says that Satan or the devil and those fallen angels, they are forgers. They are liars and deceivers. They can't actually originate anything. Only God is the author, creator. They are a forger, a liar, and a deceiver. So when Jesus was called and invited into the desert, he was brought into the desert after he was baptized, we read that he was tempted, in that case, by Satan. It was external to him, and he was taunted, tempted, etc. But he did not succumb. He didn't choose to respond with a yes. But earlier, we read in the book of Genesis, the account of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and they too were in the desert, uh, in the garden rather, and they too were tempted. It came to them externally, but their desire 
the enemy lied to them and they took the bait and they sinned. So there is this aspect where the spiritual forces of wickedness will present opportunities to you and me, to us. And what James is saying when he talks about desire is that it is our desire that now has a bearing on whether we choose to follow through on that temptation or not. And the challenges, whether it is externally or whether it's coming from me or my own self, as we grow and come closer and closer to the Lord, so too it will become clearer when it is the enemy tempting us or when it is coming from ourselves. As you get to know Jesus and you read scripture and you pray more and more, you will be shaped and formed and become a little more like him each day and a little more uh, um, guided by his ways. So it will become increasingly clear when that temptation is coming from the spiritual forces of wickedness. But we still have a choice. We have a volition, a will. And so we need to be very careful with this popular phrase, the devil made me do it. Because he doesn't. We still choose. So that was a great question. And uh, having to do with last week's matter of desire and temptation. This morning we are looking at religion. What is God's view of religion? And what does it reveal about him? What does it reveal about what he cares about? And what does it reveal about us? And with that, let's go to James, the book of James. Chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1. We're going to make our way to the end of chapter 1 today. Book of James, it's in the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament. Hebrews, James, verse 19 and 20. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For your anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Here it is again, James, Pastor James, and he says, my beloved. He says, my beloved a lot, or sisters and brothers, because he identifies with them. He is being, when, when he is writing this, the Holy Spirit is preaching to James just as though James is also preaching to the congregation. So too, I am with you in this. He is saying, my beloved, and uh, evidently the people that he is writing to in the first instance, the congregation that Pastor James is writing to, is quick to speak. So he says, be slow to speak. And evidently they are quick to get angry, so he says, be slow to anger. The Greek word is orge. And he says that your anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. The righteousness, that word righteousness, what righteousness means is what is right and just according to our Creator. And it has also to do with action, not just knowing, but also action. Righteousness means what is right and just according to our Creator, but it also has to do with action, not just knowing. 
And what Pastor James here is writing and saying is, he says to the congregation that your anger doesn't produce that righteousness, doesn't make for what is right and just in the eyes of our Creator. Anger isn't the action, he says. We continue. Verse 21. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. And welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they were like. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. and he's, This is where I bump into this word sordid. This word sordid means uh, immorality or filthiness. Imagine the pastor talking and preaching to the congregation and saying, you know, you got to stop with all of the impurity and the immorality and the filthiness. The first New Testament pastors really delivered. You know, but it's what he's saying, you know, clean up in the impurity and the filthiness and then this aspect of wickedness, this idea of maybe we would say badness or harshness or, or, or that sort of a thing. And it's interesting, actually, that anger is part of wickedness. So it's this milieu, it's this collage of, of anger and wickedness and immorality, and it's all mashed together. And the tragic irony is, for the congregation, the tragic irony is, while in the congregation there is still, he calls it, a growth of immorality and a growth of wickedness, at the same time, they seem to be getting angry and judgmental at other people. It's weird how that can happen. And that's why he says, you know, you need to pause. He says, remember when you go to the mirror, he said, when that happens, when there's all this going on internally, but at the same time we're angry and judging other people, he said, it's kind of like, you know, when you go to the mirror and you straighten yourself out and you get all like this, but then you leave and you're three steps away from the mirror and you've totally forgotten what you've looked like already. So he says, you know, Spend a little longer in the mirror. Oh, ah, because the idea is then that is going to also affect how I treat and how I consider and look at other people. Anger is, I'm going to suggest to you that anger is the number two problem and temptation, and sin that we have in our world today. It's the second leading one, especially among the male population. It's second. First, you probably know what first is, is that sexual impurity. But anger is second. And it's there. It's large. And here's the challenge, though, that early church have and we have is that we read in our Bibles, we read words about the wrath of God. 
And what we do is we project our perspective, our human perspective of what anger is, and we project that onto the meaning of the wrath of God as though God has outbursts or that he can't control his emotions or something. But what James is saying is that your anger, my anger, human anger is not the righteousness of God. There is a wrath of God, but it's a judgment and it's completely under control and it's entirely justified and there's no outbursting. It's not like human anger. But along with that second one, anger, the third large temptation that looms large for us is really, I would put it as gossip or slander. It's this idea that we talk very quickly. We're very willing to offer an opinion. There's this phrase, no unspoken thought. I mean, we just rush to make an opinion. We rush to speak. Oh, I'll talk to that even if I have no clue. Ah, I'm texting. I'll post. I'll email. I'll, you know, all this jazz. And it's so much easier now because I can do it from over here and I can just send that over and I can podcast and I boosh and I hit you with a comment and boom. It doesn't even matter anymore. We actually get a rush from a rushing to a comment. It's like, ooh, this actually feels good, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Such a challenge for us between this. I looked up this phrase. It reminded me of a phrase, this phrase, when all is said and done, there's usually a lot more said than done. And uh, I looked that up, I googled it to see, and there were so many people that were claiming credit for that quote that I, I won't even reference it. I don't know who to believe is the originator of that, but you can google it. But that seems to be what's going on here, um, along with the cancel culture, which I won't even get into. But what then lands up happening is this human construct of what religion is. Religion becomes judgment, religion becomes harshness, and it becomes about ideas and philosophies and notions, and it becomes about what we are uh, against, without being honest about who we ourselves are. We, are. we are good, but we are imperfect. All human beings are of immense value. All human beings are created in the image of God, but we are all in need of mercy and grace. And so a human religion forgets that and makes it about ideas and concepts and what we're against. And then we land up like raising a child. The first words that children seem to learn is no and don't. And we just keep teaching and somehow that becomes the religion. Religion of the human construct is no and don't. And we're against this and we're against that and we're against this. And if you're like a little child or you're learning about wanting to follow Jesus and all you hear is the no's and don'ts and what we're against, it's like we're painted into a corner and you're like, ah, well, what do I do? What can I do? Isn't, isn't God for something? The gospel is good news. That's what the gospel is. The Greek word is euangelion. It's where we get our word evangelical from. It actually means good news. <laughs> so, so we're people with good news. We're people with good news. I, uh, churches, I'm just coming on to my first year here at Westview. Uh, but I've been in church for many years. Well, I've 
since I was a little boy, really. Uh, but I've been in these things called membership meetings where uh, members, people gather together to make decisions and, and you know, they're going to hire a pastor or you're going to approve a budget or all these things. And it, it reminded me of this one time, this whole idea of just being against stuff. There, there was a membership meeting and so the story goes, they were having a conversation and it was going back and forth and then uh, there was a momentary pause and, and some old guy in the back row stood up and he said, I don't know what that guy said, but I'm against it. And that kind of just seems to be the tack. But what is God's view of religion? Let's go to James and continue with verse 25. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that could be the scriptures, the Pentateuch, it could be the law of love as described later on in the New Testament. The law of liberty and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act. They will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Pastor James is walking us through this progression of what it really means. And he progresses from verse 19 to 27. He progresses in answering this question and he gets more and more particular. He starts in verse 19 by saying, stop, look, and listen. It reminds me a lot of those little labels on the fire alarm thing that say, in case of fire, stop, look, listen. That's the first part of the advice here. And the listen is more than just hearing. The Greek word is akouo. A cool, and what it means is to actually comprehend, to actually learn and understand. So you can hear something, but if you're listening, then you're actually learning and understanding. And what James is saying, the first step is stop, have a look, and try and understand first. And then the next thing he says is this aspect of rid and welcome. And now he moves into a metaphor he's leveraging off of the idea of gardening. I thought it was so timely that we're at this section of James at this section of May. Because a lot of you have, well, some of you maybe, have started gardening. Have started at least with some dirt and some shovels and some plants and some seeds. and, And what What James is saying, the next step after stop, look, and listen, is he says, what you need to do, congregation, is you need to rid yourself of the weeds, rid yourself of, he called it sordidness and wickedness, but get rid of the weeds that are hindering and drawing all the nutrients. Get rid of those and welcome the seed of the word that is planted in you. Now, that seed of the word is two things. The word is called 
Scripture is called the Word, and Jesus is called the Word. And what he's saying is, rid yourself of the weeds and welcome the seed, which is Scripture, and Jesus, and we welcome Jesus by the Holy Spirit, welcome that which is planted in you. We're a garden. We're a garden. And then he says, don't just hear it. Be it. Do it. And the word doer, the Greek word, is poietes. Poietes. It's where we get the word poet from. And I thought to myself, is James mixing his metaphors now? Has he gone from gardening to poetase, which is poet? And he's saying, don't just be poets. But then I thought, is he mixing metaphors? And I thought, wait a second, no, he's not. Because have you actually looked at a flower? I mean, really looked at a flower? It goes into the, a seed goes into the garden. And it starts to grow. And when you look at what happens in concert with the dirt and everything that's here and the seed and it grows and, it, and you look at this and it's like, wow! That's poetry! I mean, that's... I don't even know how many colors are on this little flower petal that came from a seed. And then with the dirt and the water and, the, and they're all together. That's what James is describing here. So then religion is a combination. It is both beliefs and practices. It is beliefs plus practices. But it is in a context. Because there can be many religions of beliefs plus practices. It is belief plus practices in a context, and our context is Jesus Christ. Our context is Jesus Christ. So our belief in Jesus Christ and our following Jesus Christ. And then he says this finally. It is so particular. He says, be poets, but then as though we're going to get the exact, here's what I want you to do. James says, okay, no more abstract care and keep care and keep care for widows and orphans and keep yourself pure and unstained we're of no use if we're riddled with weeds we've got to keep the weeds out in order to make sure that the seed gets all the nutrients and nurturing that is available and then he says, care, care and keep, which is in contrast to the sordidness and the wickedness. Care and keep, and he says, particularly for widows and orphans, which represent people that are oppressed, people that are exploited, people that are marginalized. He says, care for them. Care for them. And keep the weeds out. Do some weeding. So what is God's idea of religion? 
Well, in my understanding then, I would say it has to do with poetry and motion. When we allow the words and ideas of our faith to take root in our lives and in our congregation, when we allow the words and scripture of our faith to take root and grow in our congregation, we begin to flourish. When we allow the ways and the life of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit to shape and influence, what happens is we change. We're no longer just a pile of dirt or a pile of dirt with weeds. We're now changed. We are absolutely changed. And there's a unity that's necessary here. Take the plant out? Nope. This is poetry in motion. And what's fascinating to me is that James says... This is the power, the dunamis, the dynamite, to save, sozo, heal, save your souls. This is the power to save your souls. And the interesting word there is psyche. That's the Greek word, psyche. That this is the power to save and rescue your minds. Because it's all together. We are a unified whole. Dr. Malcolm Jeeves uh, calls it uh, an emergent capacity, a brain emergent human capacity. That we don't have a separate entity called a soul, that we are one unified being. And so our actions and our mind and our thoughts and all of that is together. So too is our faith. We can believe something, but it also needs to show up in how we live. And our humanness, what it means to be human, is all of that together. So it's interesting that your words, your tongue and how you speak, can disrupt your psyche, can have an effect on your soul. Your body affects your mind and your spirit. Your spirit and your mind affect your body. They are together. And so then it is no wonder... When Jesus came, the Son of Man was sent, He came, He lived, He was crucified, He was buried, and on the third day, He rose again from the dead. But the tomb was empty because He rose bodily, fully again, all of it. So what this reveals, what James is revealing to us if this is what God's view is, then what He is revealing to us is that God cares about us in our entirety. He cares about your mind. He cares about your emotions. He cares about your physical being. He cares about all of it. Your physical being, your body is important to the Lord. Your mind and what you think is important to the Lord. And what He wants to do is redeem and sanctify all of it, all of you, every part of you. And his priority in doing that, his priority is relationship. Our creator's priority is relationship with us. I mean, it's astounding <laughs> that the creator of the universe, the creator of all of this, his priority is relationship. Not showing off, not winning something, but relationship with us. 
and that we have a relationship with each other that is based on shalom, peace. That's his priority. This is what we learn in the Son of God, the Son of Man, in Jesus Christ. The way he lived, his resurrection and ascension, the way he conducted himself. He was called the Word. So he was the first poet in that sense. And it's how we get our model of who to follow. I want to pause here for a moment uh, for some Q&R. If you have a question, you can text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca. I will take a couple of questions. If you're live streaming, uh, text or email ask at westviewchurch.ca or uh, write it in, write it into your uh, comments there and someone is moderating our uh, live stream will we'll get the question or stand where you are and we'll get a mic to you. The fact that our Lord, our Creator, cares about our entire being. He cares about our, our, our physical, our, our social, you know, every aspect of who we are. This is a diagram, Dr. John Taves, uh, I showed it to you a couple weeks ago, but this idea of a unity of our biological, our psychological, but also our social, that we are relational. He wants a relationship with us and to be in good relationship with each other. That's what it means to be human. Part of what it means to be human. No wonder where we were so, it was so dissonant and difficult when we were isolated. We're wired to connect. We're meant for relationship, particularly with our Creator and in shalom with each other. You have a couple of questions? you're saying here, Gary, and that is, who are today's orphans and widows in Calgary? Mm, yeah, who are today's widows and orphans in Calgary? Yeah. That's, a, that's a good question. And so, <clears throat> uh, first, we can take it very literally that there are orphans and widows and widowers in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our places of work. So literally, there are those. And so the first thing is, yeah, God cares for them, and if we are following our Lord, then so too His cares become our cares, and we can very practically prioritize those people, widows, widowers, and orphans. But it also represents, as in James' day, a woman who was not married or a widow, or a child that didn't have a parent or a household. In James' day, that was almost like a death sentence. I would say that it's still pretty difficult today, unfortunately. But in James' day, because they were the ones that were exploited. And so I would, that is such a good question to ask. Who are the people that are marginalized today? Who are the people that are exploited and oppressed today? Can you think of some categories of people? Maybe you know particular names, but can you think of categories of people? Because our understanding of Scripture is that God cares for them, and as followers of Jesus Christ, then so too. We need to actually be ones that not just say it, but actually by our actions, do something to express a care and a concern and a support for them. Could you think of, anybody want to venture a guess as to who might some of the marginalized, exploited, oppressed people be? Indigenous. Indigenous. 
in our, our, our indigenous friends, family members, homeless. How quick we are to judge when we see somebody. We stop, look, and listen. Who else? Yeah, physically handicapped. Children whose parents ignore them. Abused. LGBT. We're making a list. And what God is saying is, I care. I'm so thankful that He cares because that means that I'm saved. I'm saved. He cared enough for me. Whew. That's a list. It gives us purpose. It gives us focus. So this is, this now gives, and it gives me hope. Because if God cares about them, right? That, that's good news. You got another okay, question Just there. one last one yeah, here. It came right. up a few questions kind of all around the same thing. Okay, so right. if James 1.19 says that we are to be slow to anger. Yeah. Then is that implying that there are occasions when anger is okay? And if so, when yeah. is it okay to get angry? Yeah, yeah, that's good. So if it is slow to anger, does that imply that anger is okay? And when is it okay to, to get angry? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, and, and I'll just say, look, if you're playing hockey, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Um, it took me a lot of years. I'm a pacifist, and I've been playing hockey since I was a little kid, and it took me a lot of years to figure out when I moved to non-competitive hockey, it took me a long time to figure out how to, you know, get that figured out. Um, and I'm closer. So is it, yeah, so the reality is that we all get angry. I, I haven't met someone that has said, I have never been angry. The reality is human beings, it's a feeling that we get. You get angry. I sometimes have likened it to, uh, you know, in baseball, baseball is just starting, and, and in the outfield, there's this dirt track that is just before the wall in the outfield. And the reason it's there is when outfielders are looking up, the ball's coming and they're looking up, they're looking up to try and catch the ball. And as they go back, if they if move off the grass and they get onto that dirt field, that's their warning that the wall is imminent. That's their warning that if they keep going, they're going to bang into the wall. It's the warning track. I believe that the feeling of anger is like the warning track. It's a mechanism that says something isn't right. When I see a big guy beating up a, a small guy, I get angry. Because something isn't right. But James says, what? Stop. Look. Listen. But then we do also says, be doers of the word, so I'm going to care enough, I'm going to do something. But here's the interesting thing. If I go and hit that guy because he's hitting that guy, then I'm trying to end hitting by hitting. So i got to get creative and figure something out. And it's happened. If I had time to tell the story, I could tell a couple of stories where I got myself in the middle of it without getting all violent, but where I got myself in the middle of it and it got really dangerous very quickly. But the idea is that we get angry, 
the thing is don't act on anger because your anger and my anger doesn't achieve the fairness, the justice, the rightness that God is looking for. But we got to be doers. We can't just let the big guy hit the little guy or any of that jazz. We still have to figure it out and get involved. Okay, man, now we're preaching a second sermon here. No, that's good, brother. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, let me finish here. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. Uh, keep your questions going. You know what? I'll shorten the sermon section if you bring questions like that. Because those are good. And, and they're so real. Like, you know, it, it's what we're really grappling with. But I want to tell you something. You might be on, online here by live stream or here in this sanctuary. And I want to tell you something. If you have not heard this before, I want you to hear it this morning from me very clearly. The Lord loves you. He loves all of you. Every part of you. How you, your mind, He loves your emotions, He loves how, how you're made. He loves you and your whole being. He formed you. He stitched you together. And he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you and with us. It's his priority. I just want to invite you into that. If Maybe you need to say yes to that for the first time. Or maybe you need to say yes to that again and just open your arms to receive that good news. And the second thing I want to invite us into is relationship is the Lord's priority. So it necessarily means if we're going to follow Him, that relationship becomes our priority. Following Jesus and being religious according to what God has just described here in James means we get together. It is never meant to be a solo endeavor, to be on our own. We get together on Sunday mornings, we get together in small groups, but we get together because relationship is a priority. But it also means that relationship is a priority with our friends, our workmates, our classmates, and our neighbors. That relationship is a priority. It, you know, in warm climate cultures, they have a lot to teach us about relationship as a priority. Because it, what God's relationship is a priority means that it's even more than me getting something right. My first priority is relationship. And then we'll sort some of this other stuff out by the work of the Holy Spirit. In cold climate cultures, we tend to be fact-based first. Get right and we'll figure out the relationship sometime later. But God's priority is relationship first. And so I want to leave you with these questions. Who are we listening to? Stop, look, and listen, but who are we listening to? Because who we listen to gives authority into our life. Who are we listening to? And whose words are we using? Whose words are we using? And whose actions are we emulating?
because there's a garden. The Lord wants to make and turn us into poets, to be poets, to be poetry in motion. 